If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 13. Now, we had taken a short break. Uh, we did a, a six-part series on knowing your enemy, and we took it out of uh, Ezekiel chapter uh, 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, those CDs should be ready for you as a set back in the table. And so we took a break from the book of Acts, and now we're going to get back into the book of Acts, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 13. But I want to bring you up to this point in a quick nutshell. But we have a, a beautiful little map, and it gets to, you get to see the idea of where Paul's traveling. And so you have to understand something. Uh, the gospel was first preached after the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church, it was there in Jerusalem. It eventually goes to Cornelius' house. And there in Acts chapter 10, and the power of the Holy Spirit and salvation came to the Gentiles. And so Paul has come to saving grace, and now he's filled with the Spirit. But now God does something different. And he sends Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. Jerusalem is the home church. But Antioch takes the second place now. And in all reality, it's the mission field. And so here's Paul, and here's Barnabas. And they're ready to take the gospel out. What's interesting to me, is they go from Jerusalem to Antioch, it's about a 300-mile journey. And you have to understand something. The mode of travel was by foot, or if you had an animal, such as a donkey or a mule or a camel, or else you got on a boat and you sail. And so think about the, the mode of travel today. Uh, if I have to speak in California, I can drive or I can take an airplane. I can even take the train. Oftentimes I'm in El Paso or I go to Berlin and, and I'll just drive there. And so the operations today are a whole lot different. An old pastor once said, what would Paul would have done with a 747? That guy would have been everywhere. But understand what's going on here. And so back in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the 120 in the upper room. They're never the same. Peter is preaching the gospel. People are on fire coming to the Lord. And now, after Cornelius' house, we see the gospel reaching the Gentiles in Antioch. This is the mission field. The same message that Paul gave or that Peter gave in Acts chapter 2 to the Jews, is the same message that Paul is giving in Antioch. Paul is a completed Jew now. Paul has come to saving grace. And so think about the prophecies of Joel, the promise of the Holy Spirit that he would come, and he did. And the church has never been the same even up to this point. And so Antioch, becomes the hub for the mission field. Let me give you a little bit of background. Antioch is off on the Orontes River, about 16 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. One more significant now, Peter is no longer the focal point. It seems to be this Saul of Tarsus, which we call Paul the figure, Paul the Apostle. He's a central figure now. And he's going to preach the gospel. When you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, he is called an apostle. I believe that Paul was the apostle born out of due season. Flip back with me real quick. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 25, basically where we left off. 
And then we're going to read the first uh, 12 verses of Acts chapter 13. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. They also took with them John Mark, uh, and this John Mark is Barnabas's nephew. He was way back in the day just a youngster, maybe 10, 12 years old. And so now they estimate in Antioch, he's about a 22-year-old man, a young man, but he's still not received by Paul. You see, in the Jewish culture, they don't listen to you unless you're about 30 years old. Jesus' ministry started at the age of 30. And so there's this little conflict, and you've seen it, and you're going to see more of it concerning Paul and Barnabas' nephew, John Mark. And eventually, even here, he's going to take off back. Paul doesn't want him back. Paul has a ministry to do. What's interesting concerning the Gentile nation, the Jews didn't want to reach out to them. I mean, and if a Gentile came to Christ, they wanted him to be circumcised. They wanted him to follow the Levitical law. And so the Spirit of the Lord has spoken to Paul. The gospel is open to anybody. And it's not about circumcision of the flesh, but what needs to be cut is the heart. And that's what the scriptures, even Moses taught that. And yet, you go back to Genesis, and basically circumcision was a sign just to separate you from the Gentiles. But now the Spirit of God is being poured out to the Gentiles. And I thank the Lord because in Romans chapter 11, the Gentiles are the grafted in branch. We're part of Israel. In fact, we're spiritual Israel. And if you want to get down to brass tacks, where you go back to Adam and Eve, that's where everybody came from. People ask you, where are you from? And, you know, what's your heritage? Mine are, you know, my wife and I both, her family and my family, they originated from Spain. And so we have the Hispanic culture. And yet the Jews, didn't they migrate to Spain? And so think about that. What a blessing. And how God does this, and he does it through the diaspora. We're going to speak about that this morning. But let's get into Acts chapter 13. This is where I left off. I taught the last, the last time, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read through it so we can still gather. And then we're going to jump right into uh, verses 13 through 41. Now, in verse 1, uh, Acts chapter 13, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets, I like this, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had uh, been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so listen, Barnabas is there, Saul of Tarsus is there, and God is going to do a work. Notice in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. You come to church on Sundays. You might go to church on a Sunday night. You might come to church in a midweek. But every time you come to church, what is the purpose of coming to church? Well, I want to re receive the Word of God. I want to hear from Pastor Bob. I want to hear from Pastor Jay. You might go to another church. I want to hear from the pastor. I want to hear the word of God. But I want you to see the significance here as they, they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. Our worship team, we love and, and, and we enjoy very much. But they're not here to entertain you. They're here to worship the Lord. They're here to bring us into a place of worship and praise and adoration. 
Worship is important to me. I hope it's important to you. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. They were seeking the heart of God. They were seeking the face of God. Notice that it says, and the Holy Spirit said, after they were seeking the Lord, he says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. How did this message go out? They're praying, they're fasting. Did somebody say, thus saith the Lord, possibly? Was it an audible voice, possibly? But I, I think the, they exercised the word of prophecy, or they exercised the word of wisdom, or they exercised the word of knowledge. Somebody spoke up. But it's interesting, if somebody gives a prophecy, and then I'm not ready for it, thus saith the Lord, Pastor Bob, you're going to, and, and then they give you a place. Well, I hope and pray the Lord's already spoken to me because then it'll be confirmed. But if he hasn't, I wait upon the Lord. I'm not coming against that person. Maybe they're meaning uh, something good. And I have to wait and see. I mean, there was a lot of people that told Mary and I, don't go to New Mexico. And then there was a lot of other people that said, go. And so we have to rely upon what? The Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. I believe that Paul... And Barnabas were ready. And so when the Spirit of God says, separate to, for me, uh, Saul and Barnabas, notice in verse 3, then having fasted and prayed, they fasted and prayed, and then they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And so the mission field begins to develop. And notice now in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to, to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God and they went to the synagogue of the Jews. And they also had John Mark as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island of Patmos, uh, Papos, that is, they found a certain sorcerer a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, the translation, the son of Joseph, who was with the proconsul, this is the governor, uh, in the area there, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. So here's the mission team finally exercising what the Holy Spirit's put in their heart. They're ready to go. And here comes the enemy. The enemy is always going to come against you. The enemy comes against you. Don't go to church today. The football game's on. You worked very hard yesterday. Not only did you work at work, that's six days now, and, and then you were working at home, cleaning up, doing this, doing that, you know, yard work, whatever, or, or you traveled all over southern New Mexico, and then you come back, and so Sunday morning the alarm goes off. Uh, the spouse says, let's go to church. And you know, I'm very tired. That's a, uh, that's a ploy of the enemy. And so you're desiring to get spiritual, but here he comes. And here's the word of God getting ready to go out. Here's Paul in the synagogue. And that's what Paul always did. He always went to the synagogue within the city. And here comes the false teacher. Here comes the false prophet. Notice that he's a sorcerer. Uh, there was a lot of sorcery uh, in the time of the Old Testament and definitely a lot of sorcery in the time of the New Testament. 
It's nothing new today. There are people that call themselves Christian, and I believe they're born again of the Holy Spirit if they're sincere with God. But I have to ask the question, if you're a Christian, why are you still dabbling in the magical arts? And Christians do that. They try to marry the church and the magical arts. That's not against, that's against the Word of God. We're so busy, you know, let's see what my astrological sign says. Let's see if my moon is in what house. When you need to see what the Word of God has to say. I'm not concerned where my moon is at. I'm concerned where the Word of God is. And so get into the Word. And if you want to know the future, get into the Word. You will know the future. But notice what's going on here. This governor, this proconsul, this Sergius Paulus, he wants to hear the word of God. And here comes the enemy. He's not going to give up. Notice in verse 8 now, it says, But Elimas, this is Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, for so is his name translated. He says, Withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, this false prophet. Then Saul, remember this is Paul the Apostle, He's filled with the Spirit. He knows discernment of Spirit. The Lord spoken to him. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at this false prophet. And he said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord? And so... Uh, the purpose of the false teacher, the purpose of, of, the, of the false prophet, the false leader, this prophet here, is to lead you astray, is to take you away from the gospel, is to lie and to cheat and to do everything he needs. Listen, he does not play fair. We just finished that series. Know your enemy. He's out there. He's alive and well. Oh, he was defeated at the cross. But one day he will be cast into the lake of fire. But in the meantime, the third of the stars that followed him in Revelation chapter 12, this is the demonic realm. It's real. I shared some of the stories with you uh, that have come uh, to the desk here. I mean, the reality out there, young children, adults, it doesn't matter. Again, he doesn't play fair. Don't think of it as a volleyball game. Well, that was out of bounds. No, there's no out of bounds. He's after you. He's after your heart. And he wants to search and destroy. And if he can kill you, he will. But as you're seeking God, God has a plan. God has a purpose. I love what Paul calls this sorcerer. Full of all deceit, of all fraud, son of the devil, enemy of righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord? In verse 11, and now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. Listen to Paul. And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Paul gives a prophecy against this false prophet. And immediately, a dark mist fell upon him, this sorcerer, Alimas, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, listen, believed when he saw what had been done and being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now he's inquiring. Send to me Paul and Barnabas. He wants to hear the word of God. He's already heard of the word of God. But now he wants a personal attention. And he's going to get it. And here comes the enemy. Here comes the enemy. 
And this proconsul, this guy probably uh, gave him insight many times over. But now he's seeking the Lord. And when Paul rebukes him to his face, and then Paul calls a prophecy on him, you're going to be blind, and he was. What happened to this proconsul? I mean, he saw the hand of God. He saw a sign. And now he wants to hear the word of God. And when he hears the word of God, what does it say? He was astonished. I hope and pray you can go back in your testimony and when you were astonished because you heard the word of God. I, I was in cloud nine church. You couldn't stop me. I wanted more. I couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop going to Bible studies. I went everywhere and anywhere, wherever a door was open in Southern California. And, and trust me, our church, there was a lot of preaching going on. There was a lot of uh, hands-on, one-on-one teaching, a lot of men's fellowship, a lot of women's fellowship, and you have to get involved. Because I was doing the drugs, I was doing the alcohol, and it would have been very easy to stray. I cannot go to church just on Sunday. I cannot go to church just on Wednesday. Listen to me, I have to have church every day. People say, well, I went to church Sunday, I went to church Wednesday. That's great. What did you do the rest of the week? You see, you don't come in and take off the, uh, you know, the secular hat and put on the Christian hat. You should be a Christian 24-7. 24-7. What you do here at chapel is what you should do at home, what you should do at work. Don't come and tell me that you stopped cussing but you're still cursing at work. And I'm telling you, Christians do it all the time. And so I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm giving you the facts because I've lived that. And so now Paul is ready. Paul and Barnabas are ready. They're going to Antioch. And so we pick it up here in Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 13 now. Now when Paul and his party set sail, remember uh, different modes of, of travel, they went from Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. This is an area. Again, look at your maps. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. He goes back. Now, they're in this area of Antioch and Pisidia. And it's interesting. Uh, they're in this area of Pamphylia. Now, scholars kind of read into this. And, they're, and at the same time, you can come in agreement. It's up to you. I'm just going to give it to you. This whole area is marshlands. Uh, there's a lot of mosquitoes here and such, and, and it wasn't a good place to be. We know that Paul the Apostle gets an infirmity, gets a sickness, gets a disease. He speaks about his eyes. He speaks about having a thorn in the flesh. A lot of times I, I refer to that thorn in the flesh like, like somebody says, I got a pain in the neck. And it never left him. It never left him. In fact, he prayed three times. Take this infirmity away. The Lord responded, my grace is sufficient to thee. It's hurtful. It's painful. I've seen people suffering for many, many years. I visited the hospital units. I've gone to the ICU. I've gone uh, to the cardiac unit. I've gone everywhere. And it's tough when you see a believer. Uh, this beautiful lady, Juanita, 95, hanging on. You know, Pastor Jay's dad just a couple of weeks ago hanging on. And yet, when it's time, it's time. And we should rejoice, and we do. I buried my mom, buried my dad. I said, thank you, Lord. I have a promise. You have a promise. I'm going to see them again one day. Juanita's walking the streets of gold right now. 
She's with her Savior. She's set free. And so here's Paul the Apostle. Getting back to his sickness, later when you read in the book of Galatians, he talks about his infirmities. The scholars believe this is where Paul received it going into the mission fields. And missionaries will tell you uh, they gather all kinds of uh, different sicknesses, diseases, infirmities because they're, you know, third world countries and such. But the message is going out. Notice now in verse 14 and 15, but when they departed from Perga, uh, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath day, and they sat down, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers, or possibly uh, the rabbi of the synagogue sent to them, and then he said, men, brethren, if you have any word of exhortation uh, for the people, this is the time to say it. Paul was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he called himself. Paul was a, uh, part of the Benjamites. He was a fighter. Paul was also part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He knew the law. And so Paul knew any city he would go into, go to the synagogue, Paul. That's what the Spirit of the Lord would share with him. And Paul would, he knew the functions of the synagogue, and then Paul would sit. But then he would wait for this call here after they read the law, after they read the prophet. Men and brethren, if any of you had a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, uh, say it now. And so Paul stands up. Uh, look at verse 16. And motioning with his hand, men of Israel and you who fear God. He's got their attention. Listen. And then he says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people. He says, when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Paul is bringing forth this message. He's chomping at the bit, if you may. He wants to share with his brothers that are Hebrews. He knows they're stuck in the law. And I use that, that term loosely because you're not stuck. It's to show you. And they were reading the law, they were reading the prophet, but it's to show you the Messiah is coming. And so Paul has to describe this to them. And so Paul stands up and he gives them a message. It's believed by scholars that this is a complete gospel message up to this time. Remember, it's from the book of Acts up to this point. They're 300 miles now. And so here's God's word. Now, Peter gave a word in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, the same as Paul, and they heard. But it was just for the Jew there. Now, it's going from uh, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' house, and now to Antioch. And so the gospel is on the move, and people are willing to... They're hearing all the stories. News traveled fast. They heard about the miracles, signs, and wonders. They heard about this man from Nazareth that uh, was put in the grave and then he comes out. And so now Paul is going to give a history lesson. Those of you that have been coming on Wednesdays, we're going through the Old Testament. We're in 2 Samuel right now. Those of you that have been coming with us on Sunday mornings for a time, we went through the Gospel of John and now we're in the book of Acts. And so this should be fresh in your mind. You should know your history. A lot of people do not want to study the Old Testament. I say, why? It's boring. It's boring? Come in here. You want to hear about murders? You want to hear about crime? You want to hear about people getting chopped up? Uh, you want to hear about death and mayhem? Rape? It's there. 
In the Bible? Yes, it is. And so we learn. Again, the Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament. The Old Testament is literally pointing to the cross. You should be able to get, draw from the Old Testament Jesus. You see it. It's so beautiful. And so here's Paul. He stands up now. The history lesson. Paul's going to begin. And he's talking about the forefathers. God sought out Abraham. And then through Abraham, he came out of the country. Remember, the Chaldeans there, uh, Paul or, or Abraham, his father was an idol worshiper. The Lord said, it's time for you to move. We know that Isaac is born, then Jacob. And then what about Joseph? The 12 tribes are coming from Jacob. And then Moses in the great Exodus. And then Joshua. He comes into the promised land. But I want you to think about when Joseph was sold off uh, to slavery. His brothers did this. And so Joseph says, okay, I'm here in Egypt. What do you want, Lord? Because he's serving the Lord. And he builds up the grain silos of Egypt. Lo and behold, there's a famine in the land. And Jacob sends his sons. And lo and behold, they find their brother Joseph. And Joseph gives them the grain. But then he tricks them to come back. Wants to see the last, the last son. Now I want you to think about that. You sold your brother. What do you think he's going to do when he finds you? <laughs> Joseph loved on them. He loved them because God had a plan. God had a purpose. Then Jacob comes. What did Jacob go through when he saw his son that he loved so much? Uh, the coat of many colors. Remember what the brothers did? They soaked it in lamb's blood or goat's blood. Uh, Dad, he's dead. How could you live with your son? But even through that, God had a plan. And so then God raises up uh, a people. That's what he was going to do. He, that was the promise to Abraham. And, and two million plus at least, uh, the scholars will give you, even two million five or, or three million in the time span, doing the multiplications, the families inside, when they left Egypt. Remember, they were outside in the land of Goshen about 25 miles. And the Hebrews left two million strong. We'll leave it at that number. Carts, herds, families. And they began to go to the promised land. But we know they didn't get there right away. But notice the history lesson. I'll get back to that. In verse 18, now for a time. And so he's going to keep taking this message. He says, for a time of about 40 years. He put up with their ways in the wilderness. And so they were living in this land of Goshen. They were going to the promised land. It took them 40 years. Listen to the scholars. They do the multiplication. It's a fact. From the land of Goshen to the promised land. And Canaan land. 11 day journey. Even they're giving take or plus. But they should have done it within 10 days. That's my take. It took them 40 years. Because of the hardness of their hearts. It took them 40 years because of their rebellious nature. Well, what about us? We come to saving grace and God has the promised land there for us. And some of us haven't arrived. Oh, we're Christian. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. But we're still meandering. 
We're taking that 40 years instead of 11 days. Get into the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so Joshua, after Paul or after uh, Moses, Joshua takes over and he conquers seven nations. Again, this is all a history. And so verses 19 and 20. And when he had destroyed the seven nations, it's interesting, God always works in multiples of seven. In the land of Canaan, he distributed uh, their land to them by allotment. So God gave to Joshua, and Joshua gave to the 12 tribes. And after that, he gave them judges, listen to this, for about 450 years, until the time of Samuel the prophet. But Samuel was also a judge. And so notice, after Joshua, the, Josh, the, the judges come into the picture, and they're not complete. Now they need a king. And we know that it's Saul, King Saul. Uh, now I have to bring this out. Saul started in the spirit. At first he did not want to be the king. He stood a shoulder and a head over the people. And they love Saul. He starts in the spirit. Stay with me on this because so many Christians start in the spirit, but somewhere they dabble and they end in the flesh. And like it or not, we start in the spirit, we'll go to the flesh. We come back to the spirit, and then we'll go to the flesh again. That's what Paul spoke of in Romans chapter 7. There's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And which one grows? The one you feed the most. It's logical. The one you feed the most is going to grow. Well, I don't know why I'm in this mess, Pastor. And then you ask a few questions. (laughs) You're feeding the wrong thing, buddy. Get into the word. Get into the word of God. I mean, you know all about your cell phones, don't you? You know all about your computer. You go to the university and you get a degree. You're a carpenter. You went to trade school. You're a plumber, whatever it might be. You learned. I was a machinist by trade. I learned. Same thing with the Word of God. Maybe you're not called to a pastorate, but you're called to Christ. Learn about the Messiah. He's there. This is a book of life, church. All we have to do is get into it. And so listen to what's going on here. In verse 21, and afterward, okay, so no more judges. Afterward, they began to ask for a king. This is the children of Israel. And so God gave them Saul, a son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. He started in the spirit, but he ends up in the flesh. Now I want you to mark this down. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel comes to the people because they inquired. They said, hey, we want a king. We want a king like the other nations. Samuel said, he's going to take your, your men children and he's going to put them in the army. That's okay. He's going to take your, your, girl, your girls and he's going to put them as, as servants. That's okay. He's going to tax you. That's okay. We want a king like all the other heathen nations. That's basically what they said. It broke Samuel's heart. It must have broken God's heart. Because God was their king. They sought after the Lord. But now they want to be governed. And so we see this. And we know that the anointing falls upon Saul. But then David comes into the picture. Even as a shepherd boy. 
David was chosen out. And he comes to know Christ. In the Old Testament, he comes to know God. And so, so many times we want to go into the flesh. And so many times God wants to uh, take us away from that flesh. David was not perfect by any means. He made a lot of mistakes. So after Saul, as the king of Israel, look at verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up to them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. And he said, mark this down. This is the heart of God saying about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That should be our desire. I want to seek the will of God. I sought the will of, of Bob. You sought the will of yourself. I want to do what I want to do. But you come to grips and you say, Lord, I need to seek your face. Lord, I need to seek your direction. I need to do what you want me to do, Lord. And so, David, these beautiful scriptures, he was a man after God's own heart. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We also find it here in the book of Acts in chapter 13. Why did God forgive David and he didn't forgive Saul? Oh, he forgave Saul. But Saul was doing a lip service to God. We find Saul at the end of his ministry at the witch of Endor. What's he doing there? Why is he seeking sorcery? Why is he seeking the magical arts? And he went to conjure up Samuel from the dead. And so David sinned. I'm not taking that away. David was a liar. David was a cheat. David was a man of bloody hands. He wasn't allowed to build the temple. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, David had her husband Uriah killed. Let me tell you something. David was a character in himself. But David repented. When you study the Psalms, the majority of them are written by King David. And I tell you what, he opens up. He opens up. He talks about worship and praise and adoration. But he speaks about his trials, tribulation, hardship. He speaks about his sins. And then he speaks about forgiveness. If you've never studied, Psalm 51 is a classic. It's called the Psalm of Repentance. And I have to go back there every month or so just to read it. Just to see David's heart. Because I've been there where I have to repent. You've been there where you have to repent. David repented from his heart. David and Saul remind me of, of, a, of a beautiful psalm. I want you to write it down. Uh, it's Psalm 1. It's a very short psalm. But I like in my Schofield, it, it speaks about the caption of my Bible there. In Psalm 1, it speaks about two men, uh, two roads, and two destinies. That was King Saul, and that was King David. Two men, two roads, two destiny. David repented from his heart. When Saul repented, it was a lip service. And so this is the nation of Israel. But God had a purpose for David. Look at verse 23. From this man's seed, speaking of David, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, which is Jesus Christ. God's plan. Yet David was a sinner. But God forgave him. 
in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, we see the genealogy of Christ. And I find it very intriguing. You don't find women written down in the genealogies. That's just the Jewish culture, the Jewish mind. But in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, ladies, you will find four women in there. There's a woman named Tamar, and you need to study her background, find out what her and her father-in-law did. And yet God honored it. And then Rahab and Jericho, she was a prostitute, and God heard her cry. What about Ruth? She was a Moabite. And yet God has her in the genealogies. And then Bathsheba is also part of the genealogy. And she committed adultery with David. You know, I find that intriguing. I find that amazing because when you go to England, and some of you, your relatives might be from England, it's all about the blue blood. It's all about the line. They're all sinners just like you. And so here's the line of Christ. And you've got the, these. I'm just talking about the women. Then David. But he was a man after God's own heart. And these women, they all had transformed lives. That's the power of God. I don't care what sin you've done. I don't care. God can forgive. God can forgive. Don't let the enemy tell you you've passed the line. You crossed the line. Not so. God is in the forgiving business. Forgiveness comes to the believer, the non-believer, that cries out to the Lord. They said that salvation is the distance of the heart to the mouth. Say it to the Lord and mean it. Notice verse 24 and 25. And John, now we're speaking about John the Baptist, had first preached before uh, his coming uh, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And so here's John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. And I want you to see his ministry. He says in John, verse 25, was finished in his course. He said, who do you think I am? Because they were asking him, are you the Messiah? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me. And listen to the description that John gives. The sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loosen. John had a call. John had a ministry. John was the, the heralder. John was the crier in the wilderness. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on me. John was a wild man. He ate locusts and honey. And he lived in the caves and he would come to the Jordan. And he was baptizing the repentance of sin. But he said, one is coming. When Jesus came into the Jordan uh, to be baptized by John, Jesus, Jesus said, you need to baptize me. John said, it is I that need to be baptized by you. And so Jesus was baptized by John. It's beautiful. That's why everybody, when they go to Israel, they want to go get baptized uh, in the Jordan. And we will baptize you in the midst of, uh, you know, all the catfish. And they're there, trust me. But I want you to see this in verse 25. And as John was finishing his course, 
Back in the day, I was sharing with the first service when we were at Calvary Chapel, there was a lot of uh, young people, a lot of people on fire for Christ. And, and I was going to a lot of fellowships with the men and such. And, and some of the guys started to adapt. You know what? I want to be like Moses. And somebody else said, nah, I want to be like Joshua. And no, I want to be like David. And you, you pick out these powerful guys in the scripture. And somebody said, I want to be like John the Baptist. And I go, hey, yeah, that's the one guy to be like. And then somebody said, hey, bro, do you know that John the Baptist died six months after his ministry started? Really? I didn't know that. And so you study the Word of God. Remember he danced for, uh, for Herod the Tetrarch? Herodias, uh, the, the, the girlfriend, basically, it was his brother's wife. She wanted John dead. John was calling out their sin. Herodias had a beautiful daughter, and she danced sensuously. And Herod the Tetrarch said, I'll give you anything. And she danced and danced. And then after, he thought, money. She says, I want the Baptist's head. You know the story. So John's ministry was six months, short-lived. But he did what he was supposed to do. Look at verse 26. Man, brethren, son of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, he's talking to the Jews again, uh, to you now. The word of this salvation has been sent. God chose Abraham to bring forth a nation, to build a people. God sent Jacob. And then we know Moses. And then through all of this, through David, comes the seed and eventually the Messiah. All of this was a plan. Joseph, you're going to be sold off. All of this is a plan. Joseph, you're going to be put into uh, the dungeon for telling the king the truth, but then his wife's going to accuse you. All of this is in a plan. We don't understand sometimes because we see right here, but God sees ahead of the parade. He knows what's already been passed or he knows what's coming. This is where your faith comes in. I want you to turn to a passage Matthew chapter 23, leave a marker there where you're at. Matthew 23, verse 37 to 39. Jesus knows what's coming to Jerusalem. He knows what's coming to the nation of Israel. And Jesus laments over Jerusalem. I need to ask this question. I hope and pray Jesus is lamenting over the United States of America. Because we are slowly but surely leaving God out of the equation. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. When the pilgrims came, what did they do? First thing they placed is a cross. What were the first textbooks but the Word of God? What were the first teachers but the pastors? In God we trust, we put it in all our coins. We put it in our federal buildings. But what's going on, church? Listen, Jesus knew what was coming to Jerusalem. And so let's just read these three verses. And Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather uh, your children uh, together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Study the, the prophet Jeremiah. They beat that boy up quite a bit. He was called the weeping prophet. Oftentimes they would put him in stocks. Oftentimes they would put him in muddied cisterns. Oftentimes they just beat on him. In fact, scholars say that he preached, listen, 
55 years, there were no converts. Radical. But he didn't quit. He didn't quit. And that's just one story. And so I sent you the prophets, but you guys stoned them. Notice verse uh, 38. See your house. He's talking about the, their temple is left to you desolate. 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Titus and the Roman army comes into effect. Uh, the great diaspora. And the Jews scattered to the four corners of the earth. The earth, that is. In verse 39, For I say to you, you shall see me uh, no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until the end of the seven years of tribulation. And we know that eventually the Antichrist says, you know, to, to worship the beast. And the Jews see it. They see it's wrong. And they go to the rock city Petra. And there they hold up for the end of the tribulation. Only a third is left. Carnage. And that's what the whole book of Revelation is all about. But God had a plan. God had a purpose. They were scattered in 70 AD. 2,000 years later, they begin to come back. It's called the Zionist movement. At the end of the 1800s, the beginning of the 1900s, as they came into to the land and they were purchasing uh, just, they were, they were nothing but swamplands and they planted the eucalyptus trees and God brought it back to life. That's what he said in, in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 36 and 37. All we got to do is study the word of God. And today Israel is blossomed, but she's going to be attacked again. And then again, it's, it's brought forth in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Because Israel needs to know the Messiah, but uh, they're so far from it. Most Jews think we're crazy. Why do you go to Israel? Uh, I mean, they want the business, <laughs> but they don't understand. You see, they're waiting for Messiah. The Messiah they're waiting for is the Antichrist. They don't know it. Notice verse 27. Uh, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and, and their rulers, because they did not know him nor even the voices of the prophet, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in a condemning way. They read Isaiah 53 of the suffering Messiah. They read Psalm 22 of the suffering Messiah. Why is it that they don't see it? Their eyes are blinded. Paul had scales in his eyes when he went to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and the Lord took his his sight away for three days. And the Lord spoke to him. Ananias cleans off the scales. And Paul's eyes are open. There's a lot of people in our society today. They can see physically. But their eyes are blind to the spiritual things. All you got to do is look at the news. Just see what's going on. Look at verse 28 and 29 now. And though they found no cause for death in him. Speaking of Christ now. They asked Pilate that he should be put to death. And we know what happened. It was a kangaroo court, basically. We know it was done at night. We know they broke the law. We know that Judas uh, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. 30 pieces of silver. Then he goes and throws it away and he hung himself. 200 men come into the Garden of Gethsemane for one man. What were they afraid of? And they come with, with swords and they come with uh, clubs. And Jesus said to them, whom do you seek? And they all fell down. And remember Peter? Uh, don't you love Peter? He takes out the sword and he goes after Malchus. I believe he went for a headshot and he got his ear, right? In front of these 200 men, Jesus stoops down and gets the ear. Says, Peter, put that, 
sort of way. Puts the ear back on. I believe we'll see Melchus in heaven. I believe so. Hey, let, let me see. Let me see the stitches behind your ear. <laughs> That's what I'm going to ask him. But think about it. Jesus was railroaded. He knew it. What about the law? They knew it. But they wanted him dead. In verse 29, Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, and they laid him in the tomb. Remember Joseph of Arimathea? I love that guy. He has this family tomb, and they come, and he wants to bury Jesus in there. Here's the sweetheart, the sweet part of the story. Jesus only needs it for three days. I'm just going to borrow the tomb, man. The third day he rose again. He rose again. Now when we go to Israel, we go to the tomb. Is that Jesus' tomb? Is that the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea? I, you know, I don't know. But I tell you what, it is an eerie feeling to go in there. Uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, they said that they have to stoop down to go in there. And, uh, you know, my height, I had to stoop down. But my mother-in-law, she's five foot nothing. She had to stoop down. And I go, wow. The, the gospel. So when you're in there, I don't like to go by feelings, but it feels good. But let's continue here. We know that the gospel is being fulfilled. This is what Paul is teaching in Acts chapter 13 and what Peter taught in Acts chapter 2. And then he goes on with the ministry of Christ in verse 30. But God raised him up from the dead. Speaking of Christ. And I like this. Who raised Jesus from the dead? I believe and I teach the Trinity. One God, three persons. I know there's a lot of struggle with that. I'm going to give you three verses. You want to mark them down. In Romans chapter 6 verse 4, the Father raised Jesus from the grave. In John 10 verse 17, the Son raised Himself from the grave. In Romans chapter 8 verse 11, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Trinity was at work. In verse 31, he was seen for many days, 40-day post-resurrection, by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses uh, to this day. I love the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's all about the, the doctrine of the resurrection. And it says over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. 40 days they broke bread with him. They, they drank water with him, or, or the grape juice, which, which would they will call the wine. Bread and honeycomb, and, and think about the fish. And for 40 days, they saw him. And then he ascended into heaven, but he made a promise, as we shared in the beginning. The Holy Spirit will come. Notice now, and we declare to you glad tidings. The glad tidings are the word of God, verse 32. That promise which was made to the fathers. They have the Old Testament. It's in here. There's 39 books. And if they would have read the promises uh, of the Messiah to come, and they would read it, but the heart did not receive it. I want you to write this down. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, I often uh, say this, and I never give you the scripture. Isaiah 55, verse 11, God's word will not come back void. Whatever I shared here this morning, you're going to take with you. You're not going to remember all of it, but you're going to take parts that God spoke to your heart. God's word will not come back void. And so imagine when Peter finally, after all those years of reading the Torah, 
And then when it comes to saving grace, it just comes alive. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the same thing. Barnabas, the same thing. You, when you finally saw the Word of God, uh, was spiritualized in a spiritual heart. The Word came alive. I know some of your families, they say, what are you guys doing? What, 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 what is all this? You're buying Bibles? You're putting stickers? All of a sudden you got this fish hanging around your neck? What's going on? Why don't you just go to church on Easter and Sunday, like I, Easter and Christmas like I do? They just don't get it. And so we pray for them. We pray for them. Remember, we used to go to midnight mass. And I go drunk. And I'm, I'm glad that they all stood up because I would have fallen down. We were so tight in there. But we went to church because we had to do what we had to do, right? Notice verse 33 now. And I love this. God has fulfilled this for us, for us, for their children, and, and that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. And he's going to quote the psalms. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Peter quotes this also in Acts chapter 2. And so the psalm Paul is quoting here is Psalm 2 verse 7. And then he goes to the psalms again. In verse 34, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And that's Isaiah 55 verse 3. It's a quote from the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Hebrew translated to the Greek. Verse 35, therefore, he also says in another psalm, this is Psalm 16 verse 10, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's Jesus that they're speaking about. He rose again from the dead. Look at verse 36 now. For David, after he had served his own generation, he goes back to David. How did David serve the Lord? By the will of God. David was a man after God's own heart because he sought the will of God. I hope and pray that each one of us here this morning are seeking the will of God because God has a will for you. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll tell you, I made that prayer and 850 miles later from California, we're here and we've been here. This is the will of God. I would cringe now to go back to California. I can't handle it. Too much traffic. Gas prices are too high. Can't buy a home there. So let me, my family's going to hate me. <laughs> Notice now, David, after he had served his own generation, how did he serve as we shared? By the will of God. He falls asleep. David dies. He was buried with his fathers. And they saw corruption. In Psalm 16, David writes, Preserve me, O God, for I put my trust in you. David, when he, you speak about the Psalms, he speaks about worship and praise and adoration. Speaks about his trials, but then he speaks about how he comes out of his trial. How God forgave him through it. Notice verse 37, but he whom God raised up from, from, raised up from the dead, basically. He saw no corruption. He's speaking about Christ. He had a sinless life. Three and a half years here on earth. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, listen to me. One day we will also rise. Verse 38, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Christ, 
It's preached to you the forgiveness of sins. He's talking to the Jews. They relied upon Yom Kippur. They relied upon the Day of Atonement once a year. And, and even that, it was just covered. They would slay this goat. And then the other goat, they would lay hands on it. The sins of the nation would go into the goat, and then they would watch the goat go. They would set up sentries. They wanted to make sure the goat kept going. Go to El Paso. Get out of here. <laughs> Don't tell Charlie. Anyway, and if the goat left, God heard their cries. If the goat came back, God did not forgive them. That was the theory. Radical, the way they set these things up. Now, there's a lot of scriptures that speak about forgiveness. I'm going to give you this one. In 1 John, the epistle, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our debts. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes, we are healed. In Acts chapter 5, verse 30 and 31, God the Father raised Jesus, his son, up, the one that hung on a tree. And we shared the scriptures. The Father had his hand, the, the Son had his hand, and so did the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, and by him, I love this, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I love the law, but the law only took you so far. I love the law, but the animal sacrifices was not enough. There had to be a complete sacrifice. The book of Hebrews is all about the complete sacrifice, which is Christ. He died once and for all. Every year, Yom Kippur, you, you, they slayed a, a goat or, or a lamb, that is, and, and then they had to do it again next year. But that day they were clear. The day of atonement. Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which he could be justified by the law. Could not be justified. Now, this belongs to me and it belongs to you. Listen, if we're born again of the Holy Spirit. Number one, these two things. First of all, salvation belongs to you. Belongs to me. Secondly, justification belongs to me. Belongs to you. I am saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. I am sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The law only covered your sin. Jesus' blood uh, justified my sin. Listen, the word justification, the best way to understand it, just like it never happened. Oh, I sinned, so did you. You know you sin, and so do I. I know that I sin. But I'm justified. I'm justified. I'm covered with the blood of the Lamb. I am forgiven, sanctified, uh, set apart. I am set apart from sin, consecrated uh, to God. Isaiah 53, by his stripes, I am healed. Beware. And then there's a slight warning that Paul gives here. Verse 40 and 41. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken uh, in the prophets come upon you. Behold, your despisers marvel and perish, for I work a work in your day. This is the Holy Spirit is coming. Uh, Christ is coming. All of this, a work which you will uh, by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. That's what Paul's doing here. That's what Peter did in Acts chapter 2. In verse 40, don't take it lightly. And he's speaking to mankind. He's speaking to the Jews then. But don't take it lightly. Lightning, 
lightly, excuse me, you don't want the prophet's message to describe you. In other words, the judgments that will come if we disobey God. Seven years of tribulation are coming. People don't want to believe it. But it's coming. Look what's going on now in the Spirit of God is still here. The church is still here. But I believe in 2 Thessalonians, once the church is harpazoed, then all hell is going to break loose. And Honestly, church, we haven't seen nothing yet. Again, translating verse 41, I want you to write this down. Habakkuk or Habakkuk? There's two different ways to say it. Some of you don't even know. Find the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 5, uh, study the first chapter, and you'll draw so much, but verse 5, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astonished or astounded, for I will work a work in your day, which you could not believe, though it were told to you. What was the work? Salvation through Jesus Christ, after the resurrection. He promised to send the Holy Spirit, the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2, fulfilled as the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 in the upper room. Paul just gave the Old Testament teachings all the way up to the present in Acts chapter 13. He gave them the gospel. From the Old Testament, the New Testament was being written. Paul's taking it now. Barnabas, they're going to begin the mission field. And that's what we're going to begin to see. But this morning, before we leave, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. And we're always thankful. But have you come to saving grace? If you have not come to saving grace, I beg you by the mercies of God. It's not for Pastor Bob. It's not for Calvary Chapel. But you need to come to saving grace. I have to tell you that. I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I didn't tell you that. I can't save you. Calvary Chapel can't save you. But the blood of Christ can. And so I'm going to ask you if you'd like to receive Christ. That's up to you. Let's all stand. We're going to end in a word of prayer. We're going to have two people up here. They're going to be here. up in the front to pray for you, okay? But let's pray. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we humbly come before you. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God that will, Isaiah said it, it will not come back void. And so, Father, we've heard the word. Some are here visiting. Some are here traveling. Uh, some are here uh, being inquisitive, whatever it might be. Maybe some heard it on our teachings on the radio, but they're here, Lord, either way. But I need to ask you, if you've never received Christ, and I need to share this with you, today is the day of your salvation. I'm not even going to ask you to come up, but if you need Christ this morning, you'd like to come to Saving Grace, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ, just raise your hand. Anybody, before we end. Praise the Lord, then we're all Christian. Uh, maybe there's a backslider here. Maybe there's somebody that's, that's wavering. Uh, maybe there's somebody that uh, is one of the, the lost sheep that's gone astray. Uh, you gave your life to Christ years ago, but you'd like to come back. Again, with every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you this morning, you want us to pray for you, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer. Anybody here before we end would like to rededicate that life? Anybody, real quick. Praise the Lord then. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ here this morning. We ask you to minister to them. We ask you to bless them. Bless the offerings now, Lord. As you give it to us, we give back a portion. We thank you so much. Lord, those that are watching us on live stream, uh, maybe they need to commit their lives to Christ or they need to rededicate that life. Lord, speak to them. 
minister to them. Those listening to the radio later, same Lord. Those getting the CDs later, same. That they would come to the cross. That they would also consider rededicating that life if they've come to salvation in time past. Lord, it's all available for them. All they have to do is ask. So Lord, bless the offerings and Lord, bless the people as they give and then bless uh, each and every household as we go and, and celebrate with our families and our friends and our loved ones. Let there be plenty of food for everybody. In Jesus' name, amen.